if you've ever deleted a post on social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, if you've ever used that Gmail feature of, uh, you know, undeliver, I, I don't know how it works, I've seen it, but like you could send an email and be like, oh, no, I didn't want to send that, and call it back somehow. It's, it's magic, I think. But um, if you've ever done those things because the words that you sent out there, you regretted, um, if you've ever said something and wanted to immediately just kind of pull it back into your mouth, um, this passage, you know what it's about. Uh, as we're looking at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, it uncovers uh, the, this painful truth that our tongues, our words, are uncontrollable. We've seen that in our broader culture, uh, not just our tongues, but perhaps our hands. Uh, last Sunday night, if you watched or saw that, and I'll talk more about that in a second. But here in, uh, in our series of Listen Carefully and Live Confidently, uh, one of the great truths that James gives us is some really practical help in one of the areas where we all need help. And that is with our words. So if you would, please look at God's Word, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, to find hope and help and strength in our speech, written, verbal, even in our heart. Would you read with me James 3, 1 through 12, of God's holy, infallible, life-transforming word. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put bits into the horse's mouth so they obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? 
nor can salt water produce fresh. This is God's Word. Father, would you bless the reading, the hearing, the speaking of your Word today as we come to it, trusting in your Spirit to work, because we come in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you are on social media, or if you have watched the news, or uh, gone to news websites, watched your various feeds, you have no doubt become familiar with what West Philadelphia's own Will Smith did last Sunday night at the Academy Awards um, as he was offended by a joke made by Chris Rock that was at Will Smith's wife's expense, Jada Pinkett Smith suffers from alopecia, that her hair falls out and she chose to shave her head years ago and shared this, and Chris Rock made fun of her shaved head. Uh, Moments later, Will Smith walked up and just smacked Chris Rock across the cheek. Very shocking, very surprising, very consuming of the media cycle and news since then. Uh, One of the things that struck me uh, on Monday as I was reading one of the articles about the incident, I was not watching live, uh, was how fast people responded. As soon as that happened, the responses came almost as quickly as Will Smith got up out of his chair. As people were quick to either justify and say, yeah, Chris Rock deserved it, you know, go Will Smith, or that was completely wrong, it was violence, it's now going to open up a, a, a Pandora's box, and there's no comedian who's going to be safe anymore. And just as quickly as all those things went out, those words went out, words, 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 almost as quickly, posts were being deleted. And people were pulling back what they had said in their own impulsive moments of judgment or affirmation. And that's, that's, that's I think, in line with what this passage is talking about when it speaks of the tongue. Don't just think, you know, the words that we verbalize. These days, think of the things that you post on social media. Think of even the thoughts that are going on in your heart. Think of the words that you use or don't use. Because as James says here in chapter one or in chapter three, verse two, we all stumble in many ways. And he highlights this issue of words speaking of the tongue, and he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. In a moment, he also says, as we just read, no one can control the tongue. So what do you do? What do we do? Every one of us has been impulsive and said things that we regret, posted things that we want to post. You know, the, the, the existence of delete functions in those apps, which I think was a big deal. I, don't, I think Twitter didn't used to let you delete them, or one of them wouldn't let you delete. And finally that came around, and I don't think that has helped any. Because right? you can fire stuff off and pull it back. That, that's, that's, that's evidence of the fact that we struggle with words. We stumble in many ways. But if we focus on our words... It will yield benefits in just about every other area of our life. And so, how do we do that? How do we focus on our words in a healthy way? Well, the first thing we need to do is understand the power 
of the tongue. We need to really understand the power of the tongue, especially the, its ability to change the world. If you've ever thought about that, the, the, the power of the tongue is its ability to change the world. And that's the connection here. As James begins talking, he speaks of becoming teachers. And then if you're just reading through it, you're like, well, what happened to think about teachers? Now you're talking about the tongue. Verse one, he says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. There's a couple things going on there. That they're, it's rooted in the fact that the tongue has power. It has this ability to change. Stricter judgment is necessary because of the power of the tongue. Because the words that we speak or think or write impact and influence people around us. It can bring about change. And in fact, that's, that's why teaching is so necessary. It's absolutely necessary for followers of Jesus to teach and to be taught. And James is saying, and be careful. Because it's dangerous. Jesus Himself said what? In the Great Commission. You know, go. Going, make disciples. And what do you say? Teaching. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Baptizing in the name of the Father. And I am with you always. Jesus commanded us to go and teach. You see it throughout the scriptures. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, towards the end of the chapter, points out and lists, I think teaching is like third on the list after apostles and prophets. He literally says, first, he gave apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. And then he lumps everything else, stopping numbering there. But he also says, that's a setup for 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, if you do any of those things without love, you're just making noise. It's meaningless. It's worthless. James would add, essentially, that it's It's harmful. And Jesus would, say, Jesus would say so as well because He says every careless word will be accounted for in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Leading little ones astray with your words especially, but even by your example, is dangerous. It would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck. Matthew 18, 5 and 6. It's among the greater gifts, teaching, to pursue, Paul says, but you must do it in the excellent way of love. There was a lot of debate about, you know, how do we, how do we teach effectively PowerPoints and slides? You know, we've started putting the, the Scripture words up on the screen. Um, some people have said, you know, you should put the sermon outline up on the screen. That, yeah. And what's most powerful are the words. And they are powerful. You know it. They're powerful even though they're very small. And they come from a small place. Uh, James says that here that the, the power of the tongue is its ability to change the world and that they come from a, even a small place. He says that Verses 3-5, through five, that's, that's his message basically. How small 
a thing the tongue is and words are, and yet how great an impact they can have. They are like that the bit that we put in the mouth of a horse. It's relatively small compared to the whole body of a big horse, but yet if you control that bit, if you steer that bit, you steer the whole body of the horse. He says the same about a rudder. Though it's very small compared to the size of a great ship, it can steer that ship even as that ship is driven by strong winds. If you just steer the rudder, the ship will go where you desire. It's verse 4. And then he says in verse 5, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. And those aren't unfounded boasts, right? The tongue has that kind of power. The same as a rudder on a ship, the same as a bit in a horse's mouth, it can change and direct and influence. The tongue, our words, have tremendous power. And you have experienced that. I don't doubt. Someone has said something really nice to you, an encouraging comment, and it has fueled you for hours, maybe days, reflecting on someone's apt word, fitly spoken. You know, words of affirmation are one of the love languages that encourage many of us. That just fuel and put wind beneath wings. Words just reflected back. Have you had this experience where you've been trying to, to communicate something to someone, even, even if you've been hurt by them, and you hear them echo back what it is that you're saying, and you just feel relief. You, you get it. You understand me. You wouldn't know that as well without those words coming back to you. In fact, we tend to interpret silence negatively. Our disposition is to think if somebody hasn't said something, then it's, it's bad. If they walk past me and don't say hi, I'm thinking, what did I do? You know, words, just words, so powerful, yet so small. As someone speaks to you, you can get joy. Peace, contentment. You can also, of course, what? Get, get despair and discouragement. Words. You know, the shame and chiding and chastising and the tone of the words can, can mark and scar people for life. Breeding insecurity and a desire to prove our worth. Now, I was reading somewhere years ago um, that when you look at some teenagers and they kind of have, I've noticed this when you see uh, mug shots in the paper for young people who've committed crimes, very often you will see a sort of a chin up, a pride. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's actually very often, almost always, an insecurity underneath of that. That that poor young person has been told that they are worthless, that they'll never amount to anything, or that it's been communicated to them through silence, maybe the abandonment of a parent, that, that they don't matter. 
and their hearts are telling them that that's not true, and they have to speak those words to themselves to convince them that they're actually worth something, and they begin to puff themselves up and to prove and to demonstrate to all the haters what's in their heart from what they've heard or not heard in words. So powerful are our words, the power of the tongue. It is something that we all wield. And we have this tool, whether it's the keyboard or the the tongue in our mouths or the voice in our heart, we have this tool that can either be a nuclear bomb and bring massive destruction, or it could be a healing balm that brings peace and restoration and hope. So one of the things I want you to think about as we continue looking at this passage is is this week, how are you going to remember that? What are you going to do with that knowledge? How are you going to adjust the way you use your tongue? The way you type on the keyboard and post the emails that you send? How will you remember the truth that your words are so powerful? How will you wield this tool that God has given to us? Because the power of the tongue is in its ability to bring about change from such a small place. But that end, we got to keep with that before we answer those questions about how we're going to remember that. We got to keep the second part of this true. This is that the problem with the tongue is very real. And what is the problem with the tongue? James is very clear, scarily clear. And he says that the problem with the tongue is its tendency to destroy from this small place, it destroys a large place. That's the problem with the tongue, it has a tendency to destroy. Verse 5 at the end, he says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. It doesn't take much of a spark to cause forest fires, as we have seen in the last couple of years. Unattended campfire, a stray spark, a cigarette butt, a lightning strike even, but... The, the image there is actually, you know, I don't know about you, but I think of a forest and, and it burning and stuff, but it's actually, the, the language is, it, from context, seems to be more of a brush fire. You know, you've got dry grasses. Imagine just a small spark, just whoosh, massive destruction over a large place with just a tiny spark. This tendency of the tongue to destroy but he says it's even worse. Look at verse 6. The tongue is a fire. It's not just a spark. It's a fire. The world, the very world of iniquity. That's a hard expression to kind of get out and translate and quite, but someone put it this way. The tongue makes itself available as the focal point of all that unrighteousness. That is the world of sin and hostility to God and rejection of Christ. And it's, it's right there in us. You know, the very world of iniquity, it's, it's, it's all right there and available from the tongue. It is a conduit for all that is unjust and unrighteous. Another commentator says, the tongue is the enemy agent within God's rightful kingdom, a ready tool at the disposal of God's enemy. Because what does he say at the end of verse 6? It sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. 
That's some crazy stuff, isn't it? It defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of life. Verse 8, it is full of deadly poison. That is literally death dealing. Like you deal cards, the tongue is dealing out death. Come, get your cards. Ante up. Sticks and stones break bones. And words burn down worlds. That's the problem with the tongue. It's a tool. But it's like a fire hose in the hands of an amateur. You know, they're so powerful and you could use it to put out a fire, right? You could also just use it to knock people down. And in fact, that's, that's the second part of the problem. It's not only it has a tendency to destroy in a large place, it's, we have an inability to control its ways. Look at verse 8. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Verse 7. There's, there's an irony or parallelism that doesn't come out in the NASB translation. Verse 7 says, For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, is what they translated, but it's the same word. Every species of beasts has been tamed by the human species. The Greek word is phusis. The language here calls back to creation. As he lists the beasts and the birds, the reptiles and the creatures of the sea, echoes of Genesis 1 might come to your mind. Those animals, those creatures that God created and then gave Adam and Eve dominion over, which is another way of saying domesticating, taming. God said all these animals are yours to Adam and Eve. Exercise dominion. Tame them. Put them to use for your purposes. And we have done that. History has shown that, right? you got people who can tame lions. Stick their heads in them and stuff, right? Wrestle alligators. Occasionally, not make it. But, more often than not, we have tamed every kind of animal. All the beasts. The creatures that God created for us to have dominion over. But the tongue... This is the irony in here. We've tamed all these species, but the, the human species can't tame the tongue. It's in its own mouth. That small member. But we can't control it. It's a restless evil. It causes harm. It deals death. It's used by Satan and fueled by the fires of hell. It sets on fire the coarse... Uh, it says uh, of our life, but the, the, the hour is not in the, the text. It sets on fire the course of life. And course is, is actually a word that means like wheel. It sounds kind of like, you know, Simba and Pumbaa if you say the wheel of life. And you don't want that in your head, right? Sorry. Uh, the circle of life or something. But that's kind of the expression here. But it's actually, it, it calls to mind just all of reality. That the tongue is setting on fire existence almost. The history of humanity is, is one that demonstrates just how dangerous and deadly and harmful the human tongue is. The whole range of human life. 
is impacted, affected, and more often than not, James is saying, for the negative. As if hell itself were spouting fire from our tongues. We are all, in a sense, fire-breathing dragons as we speak or even as we think words or write them out. Someone said the tongue is anti-God and pro-Satan. The tongue is anti-God and pro-Satan. How'd that happen? This was an interesting thought as I dug into it this week. Do you realize that ever since Satan in the garden approached Adam and Eve as what? A serpent with a forked tongue. That's interesting, isn't it? With a forked tongue and questioned God's words. Ever since Adam and Eve listened to him and the Satan saying, you shall, did, did God say, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Just kind of twisting. Just kind of spinning the words a little bit. What happened? After they sinned, Adam's response, Eve's response, they hide. They withdraw from God when God comes looking for them. And He calls them out and speaks to them. And what do they say? Uh, I was afraid. Because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? What did Adam say? He opened up the fires of hell and let them fly forth from his dragon mouth and said, the woman you gave me. She gave to me, and I, and I how much percentage of those words were like blame shifting and how much were taking responsibility? How much were leadership and how much were blame and deflection? All since they bowed down and listened to another's words rather than God's words. Adam used his tongue to blame God, to blame Eve, take a tiny bit of responsibility. You think about this gives this gives a, a new perspective as well to that weird inner counter where Peter in Matthew 16, after Jesus has said, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be rejected, I will suffer, I will die and rise again. And what did Peter do? Do you remember? He said, No, 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 God forbid. Jesus, he took him aside, you know. Being a good Christian, uh, early days as Peter was, took Jesus aside to rebuke him and said, God forbid that 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 would ever happen to you. And do you remember Jesus' response? Get behind me, Peter. Get behind me, you of little faith. Get behind me, Satan. To Peter. Get behind me, Satan. That's, that's, I think, part of where James has arrived in reflecting on that experience and that, uh, the, that encounter, that, those interaction that he was no doubt aware of. That the tongue can especially be used to undermine God's purposes, which is to, in other words, elevate Satan's purposes. Because if, if, if you're not serving God, right, you're accomplishing 
Satan's purposes. They are at odds. So what do you do do with that? That is a huge problem. The tongue has got this power, and the, the problem then is evidence there with Adam and with Peter, with, with me and you. And then if you notice, as we read through this passage, right, James doesn't actually tell us what to do. He doesn't say, so, you know, put duct tape around your face. Uh, he, he doesn't even say, you know, if your tongue offends someone, cut it out like Jesus did, you know, paraphrasing him. But he, he, he doesn't tell us what to do. But if you are listening carefully, he does point us clearly to a response that can lead us into confident living, despite the fact that he has said you can't control the tongue. No one can. Because the power and the problem lead us to the person behind the tongue. The power of the tongue, the problem with the tongue, they all lead us to the person behind the tongue. We are all inconsistent and all image bearers. We are all inconsistent and all image bearers. Look at verse 9. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, human beings, who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. We are inconsistent. James has said as much several times as he spoke about asking without doubting. It's the same idea of being double-minded. It's the very definition of double-minded, isn't it? To take the tool that God has given and use it in His presence. Oh God, you know, I bless you. You're great, you're great, you're great. You know, demon fire coming out of our mouth as we then talk to and interact with human beings made in the image of this one up here that we just blessed, that then we tear down. That is the very definition of being double-minded, of inconsistency, of a lack of integrity. We are all inconsistent and all image bearers. Only, only Jesus was consistent, is consistent, will always be consistent. We are made in the likeness of God, right? Human beings, our human nature is made to reflect who God is. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun, you know? It's not the sun, it reflects the sun. That's, that's us, human nature, made to reflect the divine nature of God here in a visible way as we exercise dominion over the animals and do the things God wants us to do as we relate to one another. And into that, then we read verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No one, no, no, no man, it's masculine, is able to, tongue the tame, to tame the tongue. And, and the language there is actually... Like this, literally. But the tongue, no one, masculine, no man would be the way you would commonly read that in those days. No one, no man is able to tame 
of humanity. The tongue, no one among men, human beings, is able to tame. The good news is what? That there was one who came with a nature not like the creatures, right? But like our nature, human nature, and was more than. He also had a divine nature. In fact, this is a bit of theology that I know really well because I actually failed it in my ordination exam when I was going to become a pastor for the first time 15, 16, 17 years ago. There was a controversy called the monophysite controversy. Mono one, phosite, <laughs> uh, nature. The same word that's in here. The nature of the beast, the nature of human beings. Saying that error, the heresy was saying Jesus only had one nature, human nature, or some mixture of human and divine. But the biblical truth is that Jesus has two natures. So we can speak of the fact with sincerity that, that no human being is able to tame the tongue. But there was one who came who was not merely human, he was also divine. That this human nature united without mixing and any of those kind of things with the divine nature in the person of Jesus Christ who showed while he was on earth that it is, he is, he alone is able to control his tongue as First Peter says it in a wonderful way. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. As John 7, 46, the officers answered and said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Only Jesus. It's implicit in this passage. It's, 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 it's another way that, that James is pointing us. He's saying, do you realize you put your faith in Jesus? Do you realize that that the only way you will gain control of your tongue is through Jesus. Through a union with this Jesus, this one who came and lived out the Word of God perfectly, and this one who was consistent. And he offers hope of a renewed heart to you, to me, to all of us who can't control our tongues. Because it's the person behind the tongue. Tongue is a problem. We know it's power. So the person behind the tongue is what needs to change. And the place that that change happens is, is in our hearts. And Jesus offers to come into there. And that's the language. What's going on with those last few verses in James 3, 9 through 12, as he speaks of, this language of fresh water and salt water, of fountains, of fruits versus vines. That, that's a language the Bible uses to speak of the heart. And Jesus Himself said it in Matthew 12, 34, You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. In other words, if we're having trouble controlling our tongues, if bad things, if demon fire are coming out of there, we need a heart transformation. It's not enough to just try harder. It's not enough to just make a long list of things I'll say and things I won't say, of people I'll talk to and people I won't talk to. I need something more profound in my heart. I need to be transformed. It's the person 
Underneath of it, the problem is the human nature is broken and fallen. We've given ourselves over as slaves to sin, and the only rescue for us is for one who knows our human nature, one who has become one with us, for us to put our faith in him because he rose victorious over it. He paid the full penalty for all of our stray and careless words, our thoughts, our deeds. Every bit of it Jesus took on the cross and buried in the grave and rose victorious over. And He ascended into heaven. And have you ever thought about this? As He ascended, and then what happens in Acts chapter 2 is what? The Spirit of God is poured out. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Acts 2, verse 3. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Cretans and Arabs, verse 11, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying uh, that you have to have this speaking in tongues phenomenon. That's a conversation for a different time. I don't think that is necessary part of the Spirit of God being poured out on us. We don't have time to go into that. But what I do think is, if the Spirit of God has been poured out on us, then there is a manifestation of that transformation that will no doubt happen. And man, I am so thankful that one of the things God did in saving me, and I can give Him the full credit, and I can say this absolutely without boasting, that one day I was a foul mouth. You would not believe it. If you saw a video of me, you'd be like, no way, that was Pastor Mike. Whatever you think of me, even if you think I'm a lousy human being now, like you would be like, no way, because he's way better than that. Unbelievably foul-mouthed. I delighted in offending people. I was that punk that I would, I would say now, punk. I was that punk in the restaurant, dropping F-bombs. And you know what I mean. And I'm telling you, Jesus poured out the Spirit of God on me. And a week later, I'm playing recreational soccer. And someone says that same word to someone on the other team. Someone on my team cusses out someone on the other team. And they turned around to me and said, what'd you say? Did you say blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, no, it wasn't me, man. That wasn't me. I was not offended. And in fact, that's probably the boldest witness I've ever had. I said, that wasn't me, man, in the moment. I said, that wasn't me. I'm a born-again Christian. Jesus took that language away from me. That's God. Now, I know, He doesn't do that for everybody. That's why I say I'm so thankful. That was one of the things He zapped in an instant. But the fact that he did that in me and the fact that he wants us to have better speech, the fact that he, he has come and given his spirit to us says, you know what, we can do better with our tongues. And there are, many, there are many ways I still mess up with my tongue. Ask my wife, ask my kids, uh, ask anybody. Right? I still mess up. I mess up with my words. We all still do, but we have hope that we can do better. 
And we have hope that we can own and take responsibility for those words if, if we put our confidence in Jesus, right? If we put our trust in this Jesus, if, if we believe what God's word says, that the transforming power is with God. That's how powerful words are, right? That's, that's the whole thing that's within this text of saying words are so powerful, they're so small. It is words that will transform your heart. It is words that will transform your life. It is words that will speak the truth and glorify God. It is words. Open your ears, open your eyes, open your hearts to this word above all other words. It is one, Luther said in the hymn, is one little word will fell him, speaking of Satan, right? And Jesus, who spoke that one word on the cross and said, what? telestai in the Greek, if you're familiar with that, that it is finished. The battle is won. The victory is yours. It's mine. As we come to Jesus and we begin to listen to his word, let it transform us as we are humbled and broken. The power to solve the problem is changing the person. And that only happens through those words that come from God. Pay attention to them as more than instructions, as life transforming. And you know, you'll find, and you probably see this, right? You begin to grow in understanding all human beings are created in the image of God. If you really grasp that, you fi- if, if you can get that in front of your head, in front of your face, if you can get that truth into your hearts, it's very hard. It's very hard to really tear people down. I mean, that's the key, right? That's the, the, the reason you do propaganda during wartime is to demonize the enemy. Make them less than human. If you, if you will practice elevating your enemies in their humanity rather than writing them off, you will transform. You, you can't help but treat them differently. It's the power of the truth of God's word that, that, that all are created in his image. You will find that your prejudices and your biases should decrease your value of others and your compassion should increase. If that is not the case, you need to find what's in your heart going on there. What, why, what am I resisting here? Why am I still devaluing those people? Why am I treating them differently because of the color of their skin or their ethnic origin or their accent or their geographical location? Why? because of their economic background. What is going on? Why am I treating them different? They are created in the image of God. They are valuable in His sight. And the reality is then we can recognize, you know, we've messed up. We can confess. We can seek forgiveness. We realize we need help. We need forgiveness. We need to change. We're not able to change ourselves. Our failures with words ought to humble us. They ought to, we ought to hesitate to teach knowing this danger if we're not certain that God has called us, and we come back to the reality that it is God, to win the battle with your words, with your tongue, to tame your tongue, you need help. No man can do it. No woman can do it. No human can do it. So what do you do? You can actually do some practical things. If the power of words is true humanly, it is that much more powerful from God's Word. This is why Bible memory in in, in appropriate ways is powerful. 
Especially if you try to memorize something like James 3, verse 8. No one can tame in the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. What if you just looked at that every morning this week? If you struggle with your words, with your tongue, what if you just wrote that on a card and every morning you said to yourself, the tongue is a restless evil. No man can tame it. What if you said, Mike's tongue, you would say your name. That was a joke. Is this one? Uh, Mike's tongue. Mike can't tame his tongue. Mike's tongue is a restless evil and full of death-dealing poison. Where do you go with that? You then say, but it's not just my tongue. Jesus, this is your tongue. If I am in you, and if you are in me, Jesus, this is now your tongue. Because ultimately, this person behind this tongue is not the only person. If you are in Jesus, if you put your faith in Him, if you are united to Him, He's united to you. And now your tongue is not your own, it's His. And you can take some legitimate uh, responsibility from yourself and lay it at His feet and say, Jesus, I want my tongue to be better. I want my words to lift people up. And there are some practical skills you can do with that too. Why don't you think of a couple encouraging things for the people you're likely to meet in the day? Think of just one thing. Hey, I'm going to see Pastor Dave today. What could I say that would be encouraging? Dave, I really appreciate how you care for God's people. How you love them. Call them, follow up with them. Give, give that some thought. And especially the people who maybe you have a hard time what am I going to say to my kids today? My spouse. And lay it before the Lord. Because there is great power in your tongue. And the great problem is that you can't control it. But your hope is the person behind your tongue. Give it to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Oh Lord, no one, no human being can tame the tongue. And we're so thankful, Jesus, that You showed us that You can. You, you lived and You faced incredible pressure and persecution and you never said a stray word. You, you, you had your reputation maligned. And you never shaded the truth. You never told a white lie. You never spun things. And yet you also did not break a bruised reed. You were gentle. Lord, would You work that same reality and power in our tongues? Would You give us victory over the problem that we have with it? 
Not that we would get the credit, but that we could praise You and give You the glory. That You would so transform us. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who's struggling just with, with uh, bad language, with cussing, maybe with just sarcasm, with, with cutting and putting down, things like that. Lord, I pray that even today You would give them such a victory by Your Spirit's power, You would just even zap it. That tomorrow... They are just different. And when someone says, what's up? They would be able to say, you changed them. And that you would offer change to everyone else. Lord, would you be at work in us? We pray in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.